As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell with my co-host George Ellick and Bet365 Steve Freeth alongside me as ever to preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action, which includes Arsenal v Manchester United, a Merseyside derby and a little bit more as well. Before we do get into the Premier League action, though, we're going to start on a bit of a sombre note after the terrible news of Nigel Pearson's passing this week. Steve, he was a good friend of yours, I understand, and a respected colleague, worked for so many different companies, respected by so many, loved by so many. A tragic loss. Yeah, very much so, Dan. I think the, the outpouring of grief that we've seen this week and the tributes to him just say a lot about the man that he that he was. You know, I, only recently I was discussing my my 50th birthday with him and he was sending me pictures of a, a, a pint of Guinness with big thumbs up and everything like that. Looking forward to it, pal. He always called everyone pal. Um, you know, and you'd, you'd see him do the rounds in the press room, be sitting next to everybody, laughing and smiling. He'd come next to me, we'd have a pie. I might even have two, to be honest with you. And then we'd go upstairs and, and sit on the, sit on the gantry uh, next to him when he was uh, working for talk sport. And he'd always make a poor Albion showing, uh, very bearable, to be honest. He, he, like a lot of people have already said, he always had a smile on his face. He put a, he put a smile on people's faces as well. You know, a knowledgeable man, Dan, as you've mentioned, over a lot of sports, a big family man as well. Um, he will be sorely missed by a lot of people. Yeah, I didn't know him personally, but everyone who works in the media knows his voice and they know who he is. And everyone that I've seen has had nothing but nice words to say about him. So yeah, condolences to his family and friends. And yeah, a tragic, tragic loss, Nigel Pearson. Game one of the weekend that we're going to look at is Arsenal v Manchester United. Lunchtime kickoff, of course. Let's start with United, George. 4-0 losers at Anfield on Tuesday evening. I mean, they've had a few low moments in recent years, but did that first half feel like rock bottom? No surprise, they've quickly moved to announce Eric Ten Hag's appointment in the last 24 hours. He's got a big, big, big job on his hands. He does, yeah. Um, I, I guess in some ways for Ten Hag uh, taking over at rock bottom 
isn't the worst thing. Uh, he's got a bit of a blank canvas to work with. I think expectations are now incredibly um, low uh, as in terms of where this squad is at the moment without a, a big overhaul. Uh, I think I mean, there's, it's worth pointing out that I think in four or five years, when we look back at this era of Manchester United, you know, the 11 that was put out on the day, um, you know how sometimes you see the Liverpool teams from, uh, from when, top, when he just, just took over, to and you can't believe the players yeah. that were playing. Exactly, it, it kind of feels like that. I mean, it's impossible to see um, the likes of. You know whether it's uh, kind of Rashford up top or, or Dallow at left wing back or Phil Jones playing in the heart of a, of a midfield three. Um, I, I don't think Wan Bissaka's future is at Manchester United either. You know these are players whose time at the club, whether it's been successful in the past. You know I'm, I'm not writing off Rashford necessarily as a as a Premier League player, but um, this team don't look good enough as it, as it is at the moment. Um, you know Matic playing in centre midfield, who's who's set to to leave at the end of the season despite having another year on his contract. He's made it very clear that he will be departing the club. Um, so whether it's rock bottom, whether it's just a team who've who've basically given up or or, or the end of the road, whichever kind of idiom you wanna you wanna come out with, um, it was a, a really poor display uh, to be that first goal of of of, of Liverpool's. Um, how they were left kind of four on on one or, or you know with, with, with basically Phil Jones deciding to step out of defence the moment the ball was played over the top by Thiago was just a, a side who haven't played very much football together who aren't particularly well drilled and, and just don't really know what they're doing um, you know the ball over the top from Thiago was very good the, the assist from Mane and the touch from Salah I think that's one of the most excessively pleasing kind of little team team goals for the second goal but it was made incredibly easy to, for them by a Manchester United side who um, are are desperate and in Tenag they have someone who everything we know about him suggests that he is going to come in and and demand higher standards. Um, but it's easier said than done, and and he's going to need help from other people at the club to, to turn this around rather than it being all down to him. Yeah, Dave. Obviously, Manchester United fans they'll be looking forward to next season because let's face it. Well, let's hope for them for their sake it can't get any worse than this season. And George touches on you know those Liverpool teams when Klopp first came in or when Brendan Rodgers left. And I agree that, you know, they were bad teams. And obviously, five years on, Liverpool are now in a sensational place. One of the best teams I've ever seen in my life. But I don't remember those teams being so devoid of effort. That's the thing about Manchester United that I can't get my head around. They don't lay a glove on teams. They just go under in games against teams like Liverpool. It's very easy to get turned over by Liverpool. It will happen to plenty of teams. But in a game of that magnitude, it's not even have someone get booked in the first half. It's not even put a tackle in. I just find it it's embarrassing. Yeah. And the Man- Manchester United fans, I-, I wouldn't know what to do if I was one because watching that, it would it would really turn your stomach. And what I say about the, those other teams have been bad, you know, we had the Chelsea time when fans were having banners about players being rats and things like that. But I don't remember a top team ever being so devoid of any effort or passion. Yeah, I think I mean, clearly there's players there coming to the end of their Manchester United career. Obviously, um, players like Pogba, who, you know, let's remember, started the season with seven assists in the first month. There's only had a couple mm-hmm. since then. Matic, <laughs> Lingard, you know, Phil Jones, as we've touched on in, in a five, you know, those players probably won't be there next season as well. It's a, it's a team that needs a rebuild. And I think even if you're a fan of Manchester United going to Anfield, there's just a sense of... They just knew that they were going to get beat. You know what I mean? There's yeah. just a sense of, of, of apathy mm. in the stands as well. From you know, This used to be a horrible, horrible fixture between two fans that used to absolutely detect, and they still do. But the majority of, of, uh, of United fans going there would have been expected to get uh, turned over. And that's, listen, they were eight to one to win at Anfield. They were 
13 to 5 just just the season before and I thought there was a great line by Daniel Taylor about uh, about Rangnick as well having the air of a supply teacher who's gone for a high five and, and been left hanging <laughs> you know I thought that was an absolutely fantastic line um years of mismanagement from from the top level all the way down he's just biting them on the on the back side now and you got a Liverpool side who are just eight to one to go for uh, the quadruple and now you have Manchester United a very unlikely 14 to one to finish in the top four as well this season and I don't see just just where it's going to end it's uh, it's a worrying time for Manchester United could certainly be more misery taking on a slightly galvanized Arsenal but Ralph Rangnick said after the defeat George There'll be a rebuild here. Six, seven, maybe ten new players will come. I, mean, I don't know how he knows that because he's not going to be here and he doesn't feel like he's involved in any of the decision making. Well, he's, he's going to be. All. He's going to be one of the. You know, he's going to be there as a, as a consultant, I isn't he? Think, I mean, I think. I think, I think in name only. He's there. Is it? Is there? Yeah, maybe in name only. But I think as far as far as he's aware, he's going to be involved in in the short term future yeah. of the club. So I th- I'm but, sure he's he is privy to some of the sure. conversations happening now around around the playing side. Sure, rebuild. but you know. Saying that, six, seven, maybe ten new players. Players will leave, obviously. It's not easy for any manager to just come in and deal with that turnover and an influx of new players. Doing all that, I don't think it necessarily means anything. I don't think it necessarily changes anything because that club is rotten from the top down. It is. I mean, what I would say is, is there have been, you know, we talk a lot about the change of management here um, and I am still... <laughs> fully um, subscribing to the fact that next season Manchester United are going to be in a far better place with Eric Ten Hag as a manager than the beginning of this season with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a manager. That is a a massive, massive upgrade no matter what has happened over the course of this season. But crucially, there have been a lot of changes behind the scenes as well. Ed Woodward is no longer the commander-in-chief of all things transfer at Manchester United. That has to be a massive positive given he was in a job that he frankly wasn't um, qualified for. You know, he hadn't had much of a history in terms of player negotiation, player idea, or anything like that. We've also seen this week that two first uh, first team scouts um, are, are leaving the club as well. Um, which, again, when you look at Manchester United's transfer activity, whether it was bringing in a, an incredibly defensive-minded right back as good as he is in Aaron Wan-Bissaka or the plenty of other players who've come in, Diego Dallo, Alex Tellez, players who frankly just were not up to the standard needed to improve Manchester United. Um, that has to be a positive as well. What there isn't any guarantee of is is that the people who will be coming into those roles are any better. Um, you know, we're going to see what happens now with Ten Hag's backroom staff. Um, but that is that is the crucial part for me. You, you look at the way that Manchester United has been mismanaged from the, from the, from boardroom level downwards. And those people who've been in charge of such a period of malaise are no longer at the club and that has to be a good thing thinking about Wan-Bissaka he's come up, now he's come up a couple of times in this pod so far I think we've got another he's going to be another Wilfred Zaha Steve because I can't see anywhere else for him to go other than Palace going back he's going, to, he's going to be that move again he's going to go on and have a great career away, away from being at Manchester United the same, same as Zaha I can see a lot of parallels there well let's hope he does he, 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 it must yeah. be you know it'd be good to see just a player having a miserable time of it at the moment and then going back and getting some form and then you know, possibly moving on again, but um, you know, he'll still have time. But yeah, he's one of many that have been having a disappointing time currently at Manchester United. Yeah, I did a podcast yesterday with Laurie Whitwell, the United correspondent for the Athletic. He's dubbed them Meme United. I felt sorry for him doing the podcast because we had Kiva on as well. He was he was representing Liverpool, so it must be a miserable time for him to be writing about Manchester United and appearing on podcasts. 
Are either of you at the point yet where you're feeling sorry for Manchester United fans? I feel sorry for Manchester United writers, I must say, at the moment, because they're all good guys. I've worked with all three of them, and I can sense their misery <laughs> as I read their pieces. But are either of you starting to feel sorry for Meme United? I feel a bit sorry for the for the fans who uh, maybe ten years ago, uh, ten years ago, as, as kids um, became Manchester United fans and have only really experienced. Periods. Nah, they're the ones. They're the <laughs> ones. They're the ones. Gonna... I don't feel sorry for the ones. The ones that chose Manchester United <laughs> because they were the best. Well, no, I mean, if you, you know, we we all choose our, our teams for certain reasons, but mainly it's due to family reasons. So I don't. You can peg them and down. The family, you know, the, families, the local Manchester boys. Who... No, no, I've got no problem with those fans. Um, I feel sorry for those. It's the ones that just chose Manchester. United. I know a few of them yeah, that chose yeah, Manchester United because they're the, they were the best team. I don't feel sorry for them. I probably I probably shouldn't mention here that I was a Blackburn fan for six months <laughs> in the early nineties before finding Oxford United. Um, but it's uh, you, you ruined you, you ruined know, them, George, for that six months. It's uh, <laughs> it is um, yeah. I mean, it's it, on the list of things that I enjoy in football. Uh, laughing at other teams' peril is, is pretty low on my list. Maybe apart from Swindon Town uh, at times because they are actually our rivals. Um, but you know, you see. You've seen it in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, on the Manchester United topic. You've seen it with with Wayne Rooney in Derby County, where you see a lot of football fans expressing their their glee in in the kind of demise of a football club, and, and I'm not particularly happy with that. Um, I think the Premier League is is the best possible product, or the best possible league, I should say, product. Just shows uh, the state of it all at the moment. The best possible league when um, all the the biggest and best teams are at the very 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 top. Um, and we had it for a few years um, where we had, you know, four or five of the best teams in Europe all vying against each other. But at the moment, we've got three. Um, I think you could probably make a case for for Chelsea. Um, City and Liverpool being three of the probably the best five teams in the world. Um, but, you know, I think from my point of view as a neutral, um, Manchester United returning to, to take on those teams because, frankly, with the infrastructure in place, you can't see any reason why City or Liverpool are going to have their own demise anytime soon. Steve, what about you? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm I like watching Manchester United. I think that away fans are fantastic. So, yeah, away um, fans are good. Yeah, but you know, it's a team in decline. Old Trafford is a ground in decline as well. They need to get that sorted out pretty soon as well. So, um, we are six to four that they uh, fail to win a trophy next season as well. So we don't see that being turned around anytime soon. Yeah, and a massive result for Arsenal last night, Steve. After a tough run of three defeats. Crazy game at Stamford Bridge, but a weird game. The standard in that first half was so, so low. And our textile producer is obviously an Arsenal fan saying, Arsenal will find a way to lose this. They'll find a way to chuck this game. But they didn't. Great win at Stamford Bridge. I wonder why he was bouncing around early in a great mood. It's good to... Oh, he uh, loves it. Loves it. It's good to see from a from a top four race point of view. Uh, yeah, yeah. Arsenal have gone in to 6-5, Dan, from 2-1 from to one after that result against, against Chelsea as well. And... Just the way that they did. It was a. I mean, we'd, we'd have lost the right a few quid on just because of the nature of the game. Both teams scoring number of goals, particularly in the you know in the first half as well. Um, but huge game for Saka, of course. Him and him and Smith Rowe now have have, have, have ten Premier League, League goals between them. Um, of course, the penalty that that Saka took as well. Um, yeah, nice moment. Was a, a sweet, sweet moment for him scoring. And didn't we see that in his celebration as well? The way that he must have had about five different celebrations. It felt like it was about ten minutes between the time that he scored and the time that they kicked off again. He was just really enjoying it, and you know, good for him for doing that. Another man that enjoyed his night, George Eddie Nketia. Good to see him taking away two goals. Probably deserves a chance now to the end of the season, deserves a run in the team because it must be hard coming on for 10 minutes here and there. When you do get a start, you know, you're probably not starting the next week. They probably need to just put their faith in him a little bit now and give him a run to the end of the season and see how many goals he can score. I think when someone goes to Stamford Bridge and scores two Premier League goals, um, it's time to give them a chance, especially when you are 
a striker short. You know, the, the circumstances around uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, meant that he was he was sold in January at a time where they weren't able or, or willing to bring a, a replacement in. It was a case of getting him out the door kind of as, as fast as possible. Um, and Lacazette is clearly, whilst he's got um, plenty of strengths as a as a footballer, you know, he him dropping deep and, and turning into a creator um, led to uh, an improvement in certain players' games, such as Martinelli. But then you look at the game last night and you've got two players in Smith-Rowe um, and, and Odegaard himself played well and then Saka scoring the penalty, all kind of thriving as well. So with with, with a striker in Nketiah, who's of course very, very different to Lacazette, you know, he's not someone who's going to drop in a link play. He's going to play off the shoulder and both goals, I thought, showed exactly what he's about. Uh, the first goal, of course, he was helped by Christensen, who played a, a really weak back pass, but you still saw a, the pressing from Nketiah to force the mistake and then the pace he showed and the composure. You know, it would have been very easy for him once getting to that ball to, to try and take a shot on first. He had the composure to take a touch and slot it home uh, very well. And for the, you know, it, it might have looked a bit fortunate given um, how many ricochets until the ball fell into his path, but he showed a proper poacher's instinct to get his foot on the ball at a time when he was surrounded by a couple of a couple of Chelsea defenders and Mendy rushing out to prod the ball past him as well. So two proper goal scoring, goal scorer goals um, and with a bit of pace to burn, a bit of youthful exuberance, and a bit of composure as well. Um, he's had a bit of a stop-start time in his career so far, but off the back of that and the confidence it's going to give him and the fact that there isn't really uh, much in the way of competition, you think he's got to get a chance to to really make, make that spot his own and maybe persuade Mikel Arteta and the recruitment team at Arsenal that the going out and spending a lot of money on a striker to replace Aubameyang isn't necessarily needed. Yeah, and if you're already in KTS, Dave, you're probably licking your lips and rubbing your hands at the prospect of coming up against Manchester United's defence. Oh, yes. Banging confidence, um, full of it, of course. And I think uh, Arteta kind of admitted it afterwards as well. Just he, he's, he hasn't been a lack of courage on his part in not playing him previously as well. So I think it'll be a, it'll be a great time to, uh, to take advantage of this uncertainty about Manchester United at the moment. And what's your tip for this game, George? Shockingly, I am going to be tipping Arsenal to win the game at 21 to 20. Um, I think anything odds against about them to, to emerge victorious. As I've said on this pod a few times, I'm not fully sold on, on Arteta's Arsenal. Um, I think whilst it was a great result last night and we saw what they're capable of, it's mainly because when you look at the attacking players I have on show on the night, Saka, Smithrow, Odegaard, uh, Nketiah, Martinelli off the bench, Given United's defensive issues, uh, especially with with Pogba having gone off injured again and therefore unlikely to play, it's going to be another poor United side. And I think Arsenal should be licking their lips uh, ahead of this one. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Game two, Brentford v Spurs, the Saturday tea time offering. And George, Brentford are staying up. You watch a lot of them in the EFL. They've done very, very well in their first season back. 
feels like there's a chance for them to become Premier League mainstays now and, and really cement themselves in the league. Just can you contextualise the size of the achievement from the Bees? Yeah, it's massive. I, I think people forget because there were probably three or four years in the Championship where um, you had every tipster in the country, every stats nerd like myself tipping them up um, for, for promotion. It's easy to forget where they came from. Um, and I'm not talking, you know, 30, 40 years ago. I'm talking about 10 years ago that the prospect of little old Brentford playing in the Premier League in a flashy new stadium was was completely not on the cards. Um, the Matthew Benham, the owner, I, I think is is pay, basically the perfect owner um, in terms of being a, a successful, I was going to say businessman, but I don't know if, uh, well, I suppose he's a businessman. Professional gambling is, um, is its own business, although... Um, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not the line of work for everyone. Uh, but he's, you know, a, a local fan, done good. Who's invested really sustainably and really smartly into the growth of Brentford Football Club, not just in the playing in the playing staff, but building a new stadium, keeping it local. And in terms of whether or not they can stay there, if you compare, let's take Blackpool as an example of a similar sized club who had a similar meteoric rise up to the Premier League, their return back to the EFL and they went you know, down pretty far afterwards was basically inevitable because things weren't in place for them to, to maintain that level. You know, They were basically running very hot for a short period of time and the demise was always going to come. That isn't the case with Brentford. Everything is in place for them to maintain a Premier League standard football club in part because they, ha- they have a massive edge in the transfer market where they're able to recruit Premier League quality players for an absolute snip of the price that you're seeing top level clubs going at it and that has proven whether or not you you like the way the data is used in football whether or not that's now becoming saturated because every single football club has data analysts there's no question that Brentford's recruitment strategy is one step ahead every corner and and we aren't we aren't um blessed to know why so uh, Often we'll see teams, you know, we've seen it with Leeds this season. We've seen it plenty of times. We saw it with Sheffield United going back down. The second season can often be very, very difficult. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if Brentford do um, have a difficult campaign next season. But A, if they were to go down, I, I think they are a side who would bounce back very, very quickly. And and B, where, where they are maybe fortunate this season is that key players who maybe we expected to have incredible seasons, looking at Ivan Tony. Brian and Burmo, Rico Henry. They haven't. There hasn't been maybe a standout player who's going to get the likes of, of Newcastle. You know, all these teams with big money, Aston Villa, suddenly throwing down. Um, you know, a 40, 50 million pound bid. As good as Ivan Tony has been, and he's got double figure goals for the season. I don't think he's on anyone's radar to go out and sign him in, sign him this summer. So being able to keep that key group of players together, I think, is going to be a big benefit to them um, ahead of next season. And I'm sure we'll see at least four or five come in the door as well. Yeah, I mean, one man that has completely added to them, Steve, is Christian Eriksen. They, they were looking like they might go down. I think we, we speculated that they were yeah. going to be the ones that would potentially fall into trouble. But Christian Eriksen's come in, made a massive impact. Do you think Brentford can keep him beyond the end of the season? Let's start with relegation first. I mean, the Brentford were third fabs at the start um, of the season and they were 10 to 1 for relegation at Christmas. But you're right, the next 11 games, they lost nine of those. They only won one game. I'll mention that because that was against Aston Villa. So they were they were into 6 to 4 for relegation. Doesn't shock me. <laughs> they were into 6 to 4 for relegation and 50 to 1 for the top half. They're 4 to 1 for that now. And of course, Ericsson has played a big part. He started five games and they've won all the five games. A real feel good story. Um, Brentford, I mean, do you look at it two ways? Me personally, Brentford have taken a bit of a chance on him, I suppose. And you'd be hoping that 
he repays them by by staying put when this six month contract comes to an end. But if you're Ericsson, I, and of course living in London as well, will be a I'd imagine a, a a bonus for his family. I suppose his family are, are, are settled there. But then I suppose you've got the lure of of Spurs who. And he thinks, well, I, w- I want to get the maximum out of my career um, again after what happened. And worked under Conte before as well. Yeah, that's another angle as well. It's, it's it's a difficult one. Of course, he wasn't allowed to play in Italy with his uh, with the heart device uh, that he has now. We've seen him really flourish here, and um, I think everyone's delighted to see that. And uh, you know, Brentford are uh, he's he's done absolutely fantastically well for Brentford. I, I think we also. Given the circumstances, we don't know what happened with the, with the process of him signing in the first place. And, and given that Brentford don't have an option uh, on the contract, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if this is a very amicable, amicable parting of ways where the conversation to start with was, you know, play for us for six months. We'll put you in the shop window. If everything's healthy, we can have a chat at the end of it. But, you know, we won't begrudge you at all if you if you want to move on. Uh, it's certainly a move that's benefited Brentford massively. And, and I think to an extent, put them on the map. For, for other elite players to know this is a place you can go and enjoy your football. It would be good to see him stay there because he has galvanised them. I think they've both been good for each other. So we'll see what happens mm. with him. But overall, Steve, good to see Brentford not become one of those yo-yo teams that you know so much about. Very good. You couldn't resist that dig. It's been... <laughs> I've been trying to get it in the whole, it, for the whole last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, George mentioned Ivan Tony there. I thought Newcastle might be might come in for him again, a, re- a return there. Um, and there's one... Potentially. And there's one player... They've probably got bigger fish to fry, I would say, but I could be wrong. Yeah, again. and there's one player that I love. Well, I, I, I didn't when he let a couple of goals in against Wigan three or four years ago. David Raya, of course, now, who's a, okay, who's a Spanish international, 26, modern-day goalkeeper, got a lot going forward as well. They might do well to keep hold of him as well, Brentford. But yeah, a bit of a success story for sure so far. It, it'll be a similar story to, to Brighton there, where... If someone comes in for David Rea, if someone comes in for Ivan Tony, Matthew Benham will say, yeah, absolutely. You know, he's available. This is the price. And it'll be much more than, than what teams think it's going to be. And they'll say, well, you know, either pay the price or, or, or go away. Well, they've been very good at shifting players for huge profits for a number of years. Yeah. They've done it in the championship a number of times. I mean, my team, Villa, have bought three or four players off them in the, in the last four mm. or five seasons and spent an awful lot of money. And they, and they often don't kick on either. Oh, we had a couple that didn't okay, but yeah, no, some have. Yeah, no, no, of course. But often, you know, the record in terms of selling the right players mm. for the right cash at the right time has been has been yeah. very impressive. Really well run club, Brentford. Well done to them for staying up. That sounded very patronising, but I didn't mean for it to be at all. Now, across this podcast network, and in particular on this feed, we've spent a lot of time in the last week or so talking about how Spurs have become a more consistent outfit. So, of course, Steve, on Saturday, they decided to go and lose one 0 late at home to Brighton without registering a shot on target. This top four race. You, you, there's no point saying anything about teams anymore because nobody wants it. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, one of the best results of the weekend for for ourselves. As yeah, it was, it was a it was a good shot, well received by us. Uh, we had a we didn't win this weekend in the Premier League. By the way, it was a losing weekend, but that that certainly helped to all the highs. People were just expecting to limit Kane just to just a one shot, Son to a to a couple of shots as well. Um, I think it was a it was a fantastic performance by Brighton. Unfortunately for us, they couldn't do it against Manchester City just just a few days later, but that's probably asking just a little bit too much. But yeah, Spurs are still favourites to finish in that top four spot, but uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly made it more interesting again. Yeah, Oliver Skip's got a new contract, doubling his wages and keeping him at the club until 2027, George. Is he good enough for the level Spurs and Conte are trying to reach? Is he a Champions League player, Oliver Skip? Yeah, I think so. Um, 
I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to be one of the elite players in the world in his position, but I think often the obsession now in modern day football with uh, transfers and players has almost translated into this idea that every single player in your squad has to be, you know, an eight out of 10, a nine out of 10 player. And you forget that actually a lot of the best teams in, in the history of the Premier League have had players who who maybe don't do anything particularly flashy who maybe aren't the most talented footballers but in terms of what they offer to the to the side itself and skip is someone who is very very combative in midfield he's a very competent passer and he's somebody who has only played just under a season's worth of premier league football at this stage in his career in a position where i think you develop very very fast in terms of, of, of games played so I think he's a quality asset for them to have. Um, I think every squad needs an, an Oliver Skip, someone who's dependable in the middle of the park and, and can play that role very well. And it's handy that uh, in Hoiberg as well, I know his star has fallen a little bit this season with, with some Spurs fans, but he's able to play alongside him and enable Hoiberg to use his more um, creative uh, talents that we haven't necessarily seen as much in the course of his Spurs career. So I'm not sitting here saying it's a, it's a brilliant signing, but I do think that all squads need these guys who are dependable and aren't going to throw their toys out the pram if they play 20 starts a season rather than rather than 38 as well. So a smart bit of business, if maybe not a, a flashy one. Definitely. And I think having seen him earlier in the season, I was very impressed. And it also gives other youngsters hope coming through. I mean, he, he looks... I was I had to check his age. He is, he is 21, I suppose, he been there older. since he looks uh, clearly I, I, mm. I can't throw stones in that department but you know he, maybe because <laughs> he's been at Spurs since he's five years old but yeah it certainly gives youngsters hope as well and you know what Conte is a fan quite clearly of him and I think he's a little bit frustrated with the Spurs physio staff the medical team that he's not back fit and firing to be honest with you really pleasing for Skip and let's hope he kicks on and has a, a very very good career which I'm sure he will yeah, and just quickly, Charlie Ackershare and some of our athletic colleagues have put together a piece which marked the one-year anniversary of Jose Mourinho getting the sack. Feels like a lifetime ago, that, to be honest. A lot's happened since then. Both agree that's probably the right decision. I mean, the fact they've ended up with Conte and where they are now, you've probably got to say they're better off with Conte than they would have been with Mourinho. That would be my opinion. But both of you, right, right decision? Yeah, I think so. I mean, cast your minds back... Last season, when they were beating City 2-0, they were at the top of the Premier League for the first time since August 2014. They drew with Chelsea. They beat Arsenal 2-0. They were proudly top of the Premier League. Jose was talking all the title chances down, and he was right too. They finished seventh. So, um, yeah. George, agree? Yeah, it has to have been the right decision. Uh, I know that things at at Roma haven't been quite as... um, It it looked like we were going to have a very short Jose arc with a a fast start and then a massive drop-off and things have steadied a little bit, but... That there's no evidence to suggest that Mourinho is is still uh, an elite level manager, um, and in Antonio Conte they have a manager who, apart from probably four teams in Europe, uh, every single other club um, would love to have. I think probably including Manchester United now as well. So, um, so yeah, you, you've got to say it was uh, uh, the correct decision, even if the interim appointment between the two, which wasn't meant to be an interim appointment in Nuno, um, probably didn't justify it initially. It's probably made that appointment for Conte even better, the interim appointment of Nuna. Steve, what's your tip for this one? Which centre-half are you backing? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I should have gone for for Pinnock and, and, and Janssen, shouldn't I? Because they've had about 40 shots between them. I think Pinnock might be injured uh, for this one. I am going to go for a bit of romance. A boosted bet builder, Brentford to win, Ericsson to score any time and both teams to score. So that's from 22 to 1 out to 28 to 1. So yeah. Ericsson to score any time would be the interesting one, obviously. 
Yeah, I quite like the sound of that, Steve. Not, not a bad shout at all. Game three is Chelsea v West Ham, Stamford Bridge, 2pm on Sunday. George Romelu Lukaku, he says almost invisible in the first half. Almost invisible for the entire season, unless he's playing against Aston Villa Football Club, where he scored three goals. But what is going on there? Just from just from nowhere, back in the team, doesn't really do anything. Doesn't fit with Chelsea at all, which I don't think any of us particularly saw coming in the summer when they signed him. I think we were all waxing lyrical about that signing. Mm. They're going to have to just cut their losses in the summer, aren't they? Especially if Tuchel stays. Yeah, I can't see why Lukaku and, and Tuchel uh, would still be at Chelsea next season, and I can't see why Tuchel won't be there. So. Um... Uh, it, it's it's going to be a for whoever the new owner is having uh, an asset that costs so much money that is costing the club so much money in terms of wages um, where you're going to have to to get rid of him at a cut price on both fronts um, I can't imagine they're going to find any club willing to, to cover the wages so I'm sure Chelsea will, will be paying for this transfer um, for a few years to come but but there it just seems like a totally wrong fit and this is often where Clubs could really fall short. I'd be amazed, given the way that Thomas Tuchel sets up his team, um, given uh, the, the the recruitment previously in terms of bringing in habits. It doesn't seem like there was any joined up for thinking here. I'd be amazed if Tuchel was the person saying, go and get me Romelu Lukaku. Um, and that is the way that football clubs should work. You should have a manager who isn't in him, who isn't himself necessarily the one identifying the players, but it's certainly telling those whose job it is to identify players what he wants. And um, and that wasn't the case. Normally you can get away with it, but when you're spending the kind of fees that Chelsea are for Lukaku, um, it's pretty costly. So uh, I, I was in the camp where I thought he was going to be the uh, the missing piece of the puzzle, um, but that clearly isn't the case. I, I think he would still be a, a superb striker for a lot of clubs, um, but the way that Chelsea play just doesn't doesn't suit him at all. Where would he go next, Steve? Lukaku back to Inter? I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure. Would would you swap him for Andy Carroll at West Brom? I'm not sure. Yeah, we take Romelu back. Yeah, after what he did for yeah. us the first time around. Um, the way Villa are losing matches as well, I suppose you'd probably take him as well. In in all honesty, I might think about it. Yeah, I, I, I might think about listen, it. Listen, only one of our clubs could afford it, and uh, it's certainly at the Albion, mate. But yeah. Just the way that he's been playing. Was it 20, 20 odd touches at least? He had more than than recent games. Timo Werner now looks more than a more of a threat in front of goal. And who'd have thought that at the start of the season? No Premier League goal for him in twenty twenty two. I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, move back aboard. Um, but we'll have to see what happens. I, I, again, I hope as a previous player, I hope he can start start firing again because it must be a frustrating time for him. He's always someone I've enjoyed watching. Always found him to be, to be fun to watch. Think he's a sensational player, Lukaku, but just not words at Chelsea at all. But I do feel he's a in a bit of trouble here. I'm not sure where he goes because I'm not sure Inter have got the money that Chelsea will demand I mean, unless they write him off and loan him out for a couple of years like they have done with players previously. I, I just don't think Chelsea are in the, are in the negotiating position here. They, they can no. demand whatever they want but no one's going to pay it and so that then eventually it becomes what people are willing to pay for him rather than um, rather than what they want. I mean, the, the only other thing I'd say about Lukaku is that he, you know, his performances outside of the penalty area or in terms of, of doing anything apart from scoring goals have been very, very poor. He has been atrocious in front of goal to a level that just will not continue. Um, you know, even you saw him coming off um, in the in the, in the the Palace game and poking the ball uh, against the post in what was such an easy opportunity. Those chances will start going in and that will only serve to paper, paper over the cracks because whilst him scoring let's say four, five, six more goals a season wouldn't have made a massive difference. It certainly would look better in terms of what he'd done in this campaign, but he's just a, he's just a bad fit for, for this club. Newcastle, maybe. I'm trying to think of teams. Could Newcastle take yeah. a punt? That could be one, couldn't it? Mm. West Ham. 
potentially. Not Villa, Dan. I'm trying to think of... No, I mean, the, I don't the, think the best place for him so. to go, which, which wouldn't happen, I mean, I'm not touting this at all, would be for Harry Kane to leave Spurs and him to go to put Pound de Conte at Spurs. Like, that, would, that would make the most sense. Because, well, you know, that is... Like, Romelu Lukaku under, under Antonio Conte... Fit, uh, was was one of the best strikers yeah, in the world. That's what I'm saying. Now. I loved watching him at Inter. Yeah. Absolutely adored watching him at Inter. Harry Kane. I think. I mean, I'm really getting away from what we're supposed to be doing here, but I'm sure it's fine. No, <laughs> no, no, no one on mine. Obviously, Holland looks like he's going to Manchester City now. So Kane isn't going to Manchester City. I don't. If Manchester United are behind ten players, I don't think they're splashing a hundred million plus on Harry Kane. So he's probably going to be at Spurs next season. I, I think he wants just, to be as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you, I'd rather... If I was Harry Kane, I'd be thinking stay at Spurs, don't go to Manchester United. And there isn't just obvious places for strikers at the, at the moment. So Lukaku could well end up at somewhere like like Newcastle. That, that would be a, a statement signing for them. And I guess that's what they're looking for. But yeah, let's move away from that because we're not here to talk about transfer speculation, Steve. I don't know why I'm not blind. I was blaming you. <laughs> I was just coming to you next, Steve. It was clearly me that started that. Chelsea, no defence at the moment at all. 11 goals conceded in their last three at Stamford Bridge and Tuchel's keen to blame the pitch, but, you know, Rudiger's future's up in the air. Thiago Silva's 37. Saar had a tough, tough, tough night last night against Arsenal. Chelsea's centre-back position kind of felt like a position of strength at one point, but now it kind of feels like they might need to do some business on their defence in the summer. Big time, you would say, and but they're kind of bookmaker friendly at home, you would say, Chelsea, with the drop points that they've had against like Brentford. They were two to five to beat Brentford, three on to beat Brighton, one to four to beat Everton. Christensen looks to be away. Like you say, Saar was shaky. Rhys James is he's, he's clearly better out, out, out wide. And I think they've probably missed the two wing-backs, really, Chilwell and James, together as a pair. Or they haven't started a great deal. That was when they were yeah, going well, yeah, wasn't it? You know, yeah. The games when they were playing, they'd, they'd won all those games, they'd scored 14 goals. Aspilicueta losing his rag last night. You know, what I mean, what's... Yeah, it, the whole thing's just weird, it isn't is. it? Like the ch- it was a weird atmosphere at Stamford Bridge last night. I don't know whether it's the, the empty mm. seats and only season ticket holders being allowed to be there, but it just felt a very strange atmosphere at Stamford Bridge last night, for, especially for a big London derby as well. But, you know, they're in an FA Cup final, you know, all the third yeah it's not like they're having a horrific season it's the uncertainty of the, I suppose where the club's yeah. going as well and just all the players just seem to be off it and Golo Conte as well I mean is he in, in bad form no he doesn't seem to he's he's never normally Certainly out of form himself. but yeah maybe just performing normally like a, a 7 out of 10 instead of like the 9 out of 10 we, we're normally used to seeing them as well but this is I mean this is kind of what I touched on a, a few weeks ago when we did a FA Cup preview here is that you know, when it gets to cup final day, of course, Chelsea fans are going to want to win. But realistically, the FA Cup for Chelsea fans. So what else is new? You know, they've won it plenty of times. It's it's not a massive barometer of success. It's it's great to win a trophy. But, for you know, I can understand why some Chelsea fans will feel like um, their luck is is out. You know, they, they came into this season second favourites to win the league ahead of Liverpool. Let's remember that. They came into this season uh, European champions. And they're out of the of the Champions League off the back of uh, an incredibly unjust result over two legs. And, you know, the players will feel that. The players will know that they didn't deserve to go out, as will the fans. Their, their sugar daddy, their owner, who's brought them all the, all the success, is no longer. And they're waiting to find out. They can't go to games unless they've got a season ticket. I, I think it's just a bit of a petulance around what will feel... You know, it's like when you... When you've had a bet and you watch the game and, and you know your team's been better than the other team and you're and you're annoyed afterwards, it's just like that. I think they just feel like you know when are we going to get a break? Basically, um, I personally don't feel too sorry for them given uh, given the success that those fans have seen and the players have had over the last few years. Well, I'll tell you what, a set of fans I am envious of at the moment: West Ham. 
They've got the Europa League hangover. They played out a 1-1 draw with Burnley last time out. But it's supposed to be great to be on that European adventure. It's like uncharted territory. I'd, I'd kill for something like this as, as a Villa fan. You know, they've got a great chance of winning the Europa League. But is their success been a little bit overplayed, Steve? You know, their wage bill is a lot higher than Leon's. So really, it shouldn't be a massive surprise that they've beaten them. I know they're not regulars in Europe and Leon probably are. But, you know, I'd look at that West Ham side and would have said... Straight away from the knockouts, they've got a good chance of winning this. But as a fan, it must be brilliant. Yeah, I think they've only ever been uh, 10, 12 to 1, the biggest price that they've, that, you know, they've been to do the Europa League. Yeah, their top six challenge. I mean, they're still 130 to, to do that. That's petered away just a little bit as well. But if you're a fan, these are the, you know, these are the type of games that you, that you want to be in in, yeah. in, in, in a Europa League. And they've certainly got a, uh, got a chance of, of winning it as well. And they'll love, I think, going to Chelsea and, 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 and having a chance of roughing a few feathers here. The fans will certainly be up for it. I know ex-players will. I normally get a text from, or a WhatsApp from Jimmy Walker, ex-Warsaw goalie, who, who, who saved Frank Lampard's penalty in front of the West Ham fans in about 2004. He always sends a reminder. I guarantee you he'll be doing it again this weekend. I've got a sneaky feeling for West Ham at the weekend at Stamford Bridge. Obviously, some difficult days at Stamford Bridge in the last few home games. George, with that in mind, what is your tip? Is it anything to do with that? Yeah, I've got one that I really like here. Um, I hope Steve is going to get on the Traders WhatsApp group after this and, and change it. Uh, Jared Bowen's 5-1 to one to score at any time um, in this game. And when you consider that he scored 10 goals in his last 16 games in all competitions, when you think of Chelsea's defensive uh, insecurities, instability at the moment, um, the, the poor home form, conceding four against Arsenal at home, conceding four against Brentford at home, you've, you've got a fancy West Ham to, you know, even if they don't win the game, give Chelsea a bit of a shock. And given West Ham's defensive frailties as well, you, you, their best way of, of, of getting ahead of here is, um, is, is by going forward. I think Bowen is clearly... West Ham's biggest goal threat, and uh, for him to be fourteen to one first and last, and five to one any time is, um, is it's a massive price. How about this one then, Georgie boy? Bowen to score any time. Match result to be draw or West Ham over two goals in the match, twenty to one. Oh, yeah, love yeah. it. Yeah, boosted, yeah, boosted just for you, yeah. Georgie, just for you, just for me. Six, okay, sixteens cool. to twenties. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Perfect. Yeah. Max bet uh, fiver. <laughs> okay, <but done. laughs> Game four then is the Merseyside derby. It's Liverpool v Everton, four thirty kickoff on Sunday. And let's start George by talking about Tiago. Oh my God! Yes, what, please. What a player! Not a difficult time last season, but didn't settle in perhaps as quickly as you would expect an established player like him to do. But my God, he's made up for it this time round. Such yeah, a good it, play. It just does. He just does everything well. It's really strange how how long it's taken. Um, you know, if you remember the kind of the circus around his signing, it was rightly as if Liverpool were signing one of the elite players in Europe. And then it went pretty quiet. You know, we saw some flashes of brilliance. He was in and out of the side. He was obviously injured very early in, in the campaign. He loved a yellow card last season. Loved a yellow card. Oh, he still, I mean, he always has. He, he, in my opinion, he gets away with more when, from referees than, than any player. I, I think it's because he's seen as being, it was the same with uh, with David Silva back in the day, because they're seen as being these mercurial, gifted, ball-player midfielders. The dirty side sometimes gets uh, gets a bit unpunished. But he is, I mean, he's one of the best um, at doing what he does that we've seen his his passing range his vision is absolutely brilliant and the fact is is that he's also can do that job defensively as well um on one side of the three he's 
a joy to watch. And as I say, the only, having watched him a lot and having been so excited by his arrival at Liverpool, the only surprise is that it's taken to now until we're seeing him consistently week in, week out, putting performances that are changing games or winning games and, and dominating games. Player of the season odds next year. Today. Yeah, it's 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 funny you should mention that him taking his time when he first joined in September 2020. I remember we made him favourite. Like the other firms were like 33s, 50s, a massive price. And we, when I was speaking to the lads when we were priced up, thinking, oh, you know, what a player is if he, if he can hit the ground running. And like we say, it's, it's taken him a while to to do that. He next season, I would say, the form is in now will be fresh in people's minds. Clearly, he, he's very unlikely to win it this season. But next season for me, he will be a single figure price in the PFA Player of the Year award, definitely. Yeah, so much in his armoury. The way he passes the ball is just an absolute joke. Sadio Mane. Right wing, left wing, through the middle, Steve. He's just fantastic for Liverpool. Is he one of the most versatile elite forwards there's ever been? And is he currently one of the most versatile and elite forwards in European football? He's a joy to watch, isn't he? He even got a rare assist against Manchester United, but not not a rare goal. Seven in the last 10. He's obviously a big player for, for club and country. But what he does consistently and what he's done in every single season since he's been in the Premier League, and let's remember he's had a couple of seasons at Southampton as well. He just hits double figures every season mm. and you know he's forming in front of goal it's it, it's fantastic i don't know how how long he's got left at the uh, at, or how long he will be at liverpool um but he's uh very very um enjoyable to watch and um as are liverpool this season and and, and you know everton fans must be fearing the worst for this weekend I imagine that Everton fans will be feeling a little bit like Manchester United fans felt going into the game on Tuesday, but it was a big equalising goal from Richarlison in stoppage time to rescue a point against Leicester midweek, George. We're recording before Burnley and Southampton have played. Burnley's decision to sack Sean Dyche earlier in the in the week. Does that change the way you see the relegation picture? I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, you know, for, for all the respect that Sean Dyche does, rightfully has uh, since we recorded last week, I have read some interesting pieces basically saying that you know, if you compare the Burnley to, to two or three years ago compared to the Burnley now, there has been a massive drop off in terms of of results themselves and how many games he's won. Does he deserve to be able to take Burnley down? Possibly, but in this game where survival can um, is worth so much to a club, you can't begrudge them. Maybe just rolling the dice and seeing and seeing if if a change can help. They obviously got a very good point off the back of that against West Ham. You know they they were probably fairly fortunate to get that point with West Ham battering them in the, in the second half, but couldn't get the winner. Uh, but that was a big point. So um, possibly, um, I think that Richardson goal uh, on uh, Wednesday evening was was huge uh, in terms of just keeping Everton um, in a, in in the the better position of the two. To, to go and achieve promotion. But what you can be sure of, in my mind, is that, it's, that Everton are, are not playing well. And under Frank Lampard, there's been enough now to see that they're going to struggle to, to to go on the kind of run that could see them clear. So Burnley still very much in it. Um, but I, I'm not going to sit here and say that without Daesh in the short term, they're going to drop off. But there's, there's also no reason to think there's going to be a, a sharp uptick either. I'm not sure I agree with everything there. I, th- I, think, it, I think that was a big win. For, for Everton, Dyche, Dyche getting the sack, Steve, especially when you think, you know, and Everton had this problem, you've sacked your manager, but you haven't, you haven't got anyone lined up. That was the, you know, that was the that, thing. Bernie feels the same. Who, who is going there as manager? Maybe, it could just end up being the caretaker that stays. Maybe they had someone lined up and it's fallen down. And hence why George's mate is currently top of the list as replacements without 
Chris Walder, obviously, he's, he's, uh, has been strongly linked in, in, in recent days with that. And, he, you know, he hasn't been saying a great deal uh, in his press conferences at, you know, at Borough either. So, um, huge goal for them. They're still uh, Everton on, on Wednesday night. And, of course, Burnley are still rock-solid favourites to, to do that before the game against Southampton. So, it's, it's still very much, uh, it looks like Burnley will go down. But like you, Dan, I am quite surprised that no one's been put in place. But we don't know the ins and outs of it, do we? No, no. Everton obviously won at Liverpool last season. No fans, but that feels a lifetime ago oh. as well. I'm presuming you don't fancy Everton here, Steve. No, a, a massive price. And I feel sorry for the fans. I don't think the fans were in uh, at Anfield, were they, to see? Nah. Oh, so, so what a blow for them. And of course, Liverpool going for the quad. We've talked about this previously. They have been 1,500 to 1 for the quad. They're now into 8 to 1. I think we'll lose about 3 million on it if... Um, if they do copy it. But as regards to my bet, Liverpool have Villarreal in midweek, so I can see them wanting to get off to a flyer and maybe rest some of those uh, tired legs. So I'm going to go the half to have most goals being the first half at 2-1. to one. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Game five is Crystal Palace v Leeds, 8pm on Monday night. Crystal Palace, Monday night club. Always playing a Monday, never any other day for them in the, in the Premier League nowadays, it feels like. Palace have been on a bit of a come down since the Wembley defeat at the weekend. We asked our correspondent Matt Woosnam what the last week has been like for the club. The defeat against Chelsea, I don't think anyone expected Palace to to win that game but there was a lot of anticipation beforehand this is a young vibrant attacking team that has played progressive football all throughout the season for the most part but Patrick Vieira changed things around to to try to match Chelsea uh, it worked in the first half it probably worked for the first sort of 50 minutes or so but then Chelsea got their breakthrough and that was that that anticipation that had had arisen before the game things felt a bit flat you know what, what the palace have to play for now and they will play for pride but i suppose what else is there to galvanize this team and this is where patrick Vieira's man management has to come in it was always going to be difficult against newcastle united having won five games on the bounce at home but palace never really got going against newcastle either patrick Vieira was clearly very unhappy with the refereeing performance um, from Tony Harrington, who I think it was only his second Premier League fixture. He perceived him to be poor in stopping Newcastle's time-wasting and rotational fouling. He threw his water bottle down several times in the first half. He was clearly frustrated and angry at some of the moves from his players. And 
at full time he went over to the referee and almost slapped his hand rather than shook it um clearly again angry at the situation and Jeffrey Schlupp next to him had to had to calm him down uh, record Premier League points haul is probably not going to happen now and um, they would need four wins from their last six games which feels insurmountable but this is where Vieira and his coaching staff will have to find a way to bring the best out of these players and motivate them for the rest of the season um, they will still want to finish as high as possible and Vieira will demand that of them but now is probably the biggest test of Vieira at Palace so far. Yeah, I suppose you're going to be on a downer, aren't you? After three defeats on the bounce, one of them being an FA Cup semi-final in a competition that you've, you've never won. But I want to look at the positives, really. They're still comfortably above the relegation zone where many were expecting them to be in that relegation zone after the appointments of Vieira. We had them as fourth, fourth favourites of relegation at the start of the season. And yeah, I know defeats have taken some gloss off their season so far where they've taken some some big scalps. Um I'm not writing the season off just yet either. Only five to two, Dan, to finish in the top half. So and you've got some real dead rubbers coming up. Leeds, Southampton, your boys as well. Watford might be down there as well. Down and out and a dead rubber for them as well. So yeah, I think some some huge positives for, for Patrick Vieira. Yeah, and one time they did roll the dice on the manager, George, Leeds. It was a bold decision to sack Bielsa, although they were looking in worlds of trouble, looking like they were going to concede 100 goals every game. But, you know, Jesse Marsh has come in. Quite, you know, he's not low-key at all, is he? But I think what he's done there has gone down quite low-key. You know, they're suddenly unbeaten in four games. He's, he's talking about, you know, Bielsa's training methods perhaps contributing to, to Leeds' injury crisis. But that managerial shift and that change, that shows what how it can work because Leeds were looking in a lot of trouble. They were, um, and I think the key thing he's changed you know, that they aren't much better defensively, um, even if they aren't necessarily conceding as many goals. You know, if you look at the expected goals for the last few games, yeah, even in the Watford three 0 win, it was one point zero seven, zero point nine. In the one all against Southampton, they still conceded two point zero six to to their own one point five one. Conceded two against Wolves, conceded against against Norwich, but they're now a good goal scoring team. They're, they're now a good attacking force again, and that's what's been so important. Is the games are still pretty frantic and. Full Full of, um, you know, full of chances, but under the end of Bielsa's reign, uh, they were frantic, full of chances, uh, and all the chances were going to the opposition. Um, Calvin Phillips came off the bench against Watford, which is a massive plus. You'd think he's probably going to start here, and that I think alone could see them being a, a far more solid outfit and could see the flow of goals stemmed. So positive times to be a Leeds fan or more positive now, um, even if they haven't necessarily quite bought into the, the cult of personality around uh, Jesse March as of yet, as as was the case with um, with Marcelo Bielsa. They'd have taken being in this position a few months ago, that's for certain. They definitely would have taken because they're, they're yeah, yeah, almost absolutely. safe and I think they will have a good end to the season. So I think, yeah, you're right. Positive times for Leeds. Steve, both these teams looking ahead to next season. Have we got any early odds on them and where they're going to finish or where they're expected to finish? Yeah, nothing uh, concrete, just tissue prices really, Dan. But I, I, I see them both being around the similar price to be relegated. Obviously, the three teams that, that come up will be the, will be the uh, first three favourites, but they won't be that far behind probably around three to one ish I would say so we're still I suppose if you're a fan of both clubs same we're a little bit disrespectful again but you know Leeds are currently 
before the game tonight, still 10 to 1 to go down. So they are slightly still in the relegation mix, but I'm, I'm extremely hopeful of Leeds because you know what a fan I am of Marsh. So hopefully they'll be able to push on and, and, and have a decent next uh, season next season. And with more clever recruitment as well, I'd back Palace to have a good season next season. I think they've done what's expected. Well, not, not even, I think they've exceeded expectations in a lot of ways, especially when you look at the playing mm. style this season. I'd expect them to push sure. on again with more smart business next season. So, yeah, be interesting to see how both those clubs build in the summer. George, where's the smart money for this one? It's Leeds. And I think when, when Leeds are playing, it, it's got to be goals. Um, I'm going over two and a half goals or over two goals in the game. And both teams to score at even money. As I say, Phillips might make them a bit more solid, but this is a game with very little to play for for either team. And often at this stage of the season, games like that can end up uh, being pretty entertaining. So yeah, even money about over two and a half in BTTS. Brilliant. Thank you very much, George. Just enough time for me to remind you to subscribe to The Athletic today and gain full access to all the brilliant articles and ad-free podcasts for just a pound a month for the first six months by visiting theathletic.com slash football pod. My thanks go to George and Steve, as always, and of course, all of you for listening. Please do remember to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribers to The Athletic and Apple Plus should also keep an eye out for the new bite-sized Ornstein on Monday podcast. That's available every Monday lunchtime on this feed. Mark Chapman and the main pod available as per usual from Monday evening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend and enjoy all the football. The Athletic.